All right, go ahead and grab your Bibles if you have them. If you don't have one and would like one, go ahead and raise your hand. Uh, we have people in the back who would be happy to uh, bring you one. Um, but I would encourage you to pull out your Bible. I know sometimes it's tempting to just sit and listen, uh, but I think it will be helpful for you to have it out yourself and to see, because uh, you will need it. We will be going through uh, a text and looking at it in great detail, uh, so I would encourage you to pull it out uh, to look at that. Um, so while you're getting that out, um, just a real quick review. In the past few weeks, Pastor Rex has been preaching in a series called Christianity Defined. All right, and so what our goal has been in this series hasn't been so much to define Christianity from a, a doctrinal or a belief standpoint, but it's more been to define Christianity from an, an action standpoint. Uh, so, for example, we're not so much talking about what I believe to become a Christian, but now that I am a Christian, what does that look like and what does my life look like? And so we're trying to define what that means. All right, and so in the first couple of weeks, Pastor X has talked about truth, a commitment to truth. Now, as Christians, as people who have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, we are committed to God's truth in God's Word, the Bible. Which is why I emphasize getting out to be preaching from that today. All right, so we're committed to God's Word. We're committed to reading it, to abiding in it, uh, to studying it, to learning it, uh, to, to sitting under its authority. Last week, Rex talked about a commitment to giving, which is a notoriously difficult subject to preach about, but I think he did a masterful job of that. So we talked about giving, how we're committed to give because God has given much to us. So in response, we give back in return. And so today we're going to continue that series. I'm going to talk today about a commitment to serving, to serving in the church. Now, be honest, when you hear me say that, immediately, some of you immediately start feeling guilty and you immediately start anticipating a guilt trip because I'm going to try to just guilt you into doing more things for the church, right? I think next to giving, this is kind of like the second sermon down that we don't want to hear, right? Nobody wants to be told to give their money more. Nobody also wants to give, be told to give more of their time, all right? Now, I understand that, um, but I hope to, to, to frame this in such a way that serving in the church isn't a, a burdensome thing. That it's not like, well, I guess I, I really should serve, so I guess I'll just do something. Uh, I hope to frame it in a way to make serving in the church a, a very joyous thing, a very uh, fulfilling thing, a freeing thing for all of you. All right, so that's my goal for today. Do I hope that after today that more of you will commit to serving in the church? Yeah, I said it there. That, that's our goal. <laughs> but again, I don't want that to be a burdensome thing. I don't want you to be guilted into doing that. I hope you'll see uh, from God's word that it should be a very freeing thing and a joyful thing for all of us. All right, so uh, with that said, go ahead and open to Ephesians chapter 4. All right, that's New Testament is towards the back. If you have to use your index, that's perfectly okay. Uh, but the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. And so while you're turning there, um, I was listening to a sermon where a pastor was preaching on this text as I was preparing, and he was talking about the church. And he compared the church to a bus. All right, so he said, most, most Christians view the church in a similar way that they view a bus. The pastor is the driver. 
He does all the driving. He directs where it goes. He leads it. Meanwhile, all the other people, the, the congregation or the passengers, they're simply on board. They're either looking out the window or talking amongst themselves, and they speak up occasionally to complain about the driving. Now, you guys laugh when you hear that analogy. Right? We laugh when we hear that. But if we're being honest, is this not how many of us view the church? Maybe not to that same extent, but don't a lot of us view the church in a similar way? Right? We, we show up at the bus stop every Sunday. We get on the bus. We talk to some of our friends uh, who are on the bus. We sit. We let the bus driver do all the work. We get off the bus. We wait for the next day when we get on the bus again, and we do it all over again. Right? I think this is the prevailing attitude in the, the church uh, speaking broadly today. The prevailing mindset in the church is that the pastors own the church. The pastors determine the direction of the church. The pastors do all the ministry. The pastors are the only ones who are holy and the only ones who have the right to minister to others. And in the meantime, the congregation is merely along for the ride. Now, there's only one problem with this mindset, uh, and that's that it's not in the Bible. Uh, you'll, you'll never see this model of the church in the New Testament. So the Bible never pictures the church as being the pastor show. It never pictures the pastor as the bus driver and the congregation as the passengers. It never creates such a distinction and such a wide chasm between uh, the church leadership, the clergy, and the lay people. It never creates that distinction. And the Bible absolutely never pictures the pastors as being the only people in the church who participate in doing ministry. Rather, what we see always in the Bible, in the New Testament, is the church pictured as the redeemed people of God who have been bought by the blood of Christ and equipped with gifts by the Holy Spirit to all work together as a body in building each other up in love in accomplishing the mission that Christ gave us. This is always a picture the New Testament gives us of the church. Does it create a distinction between church leadership and non-church leadership? Yes, there is. But it's nowhere near the distinction that many churches practice. And so we could go to a lot of different texts in the New Testament and walk through this. Um, but I think Ephesians 4 provides us the most insightful passage into what the New Testament church should be. And so because I think it would be wise for us here at True North to look at this text to see what it says uh, about uh, the church and how uh, the body of Christ should be functioning. And so we're going to start in verse 7, Ephesians 4, verse 7. I'll read all the way through verse 16. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, 
to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the whole body grow, so that it builds itself up in love. Long passage there, and you may have noticed that the Apostle Paul had a habit of run-on sentences. So that was, as I'm reading that, I know it's confusing to even listen to or as I say that, to follow along, because it's like one sentence just goes on and on and on. Uh, so we're going to kind of walk through this and hopefully clarify uh, some of what the Apostle Paul just said. So let's start in verse 7. All right, and right away, verse 7, Paul has a lot to say about uh, spiritual gifts uh, in the structure of the church. He says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. All right, very simple and very self-explanatory in that verse. But grace, grace in this verse is referring to spiritual gifts from Jesus. Right? That's very specifically what it means there. It says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Key words, each one of us. Christ has distributed spiritual gifts in his grace to each one of us, referring to all believers. He says the same thing in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, when he says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Again, in Romans 12, 6, he says the exact same thing. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. The Apostle Peter says the same thing in 1 Peter 4.10 when he says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. All right, now, four verses right there. The point is the same in each of them. Each believer has been given grace to be used for the building up of one another, for the building up of the church. Grace was given to each one of us. And so every single one of you in here, if you are a believer in Jesus, you are gifted for the work of ministry. You have gifts. I say that on the authority of God's word. You've been gifted. Jesus has given you grace, given you spiritual gifts to be used for the building up of the church. Every single one of us in here who is a believer. Now, we could stop right here. We could just stop right here and talk and that might be good enough. All right, however, I think what Paul says in the rest of this passage will drive this point home even further. All right, and so we'll move on. Now to verses 8 and 10. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. Now these three verses, now remember verse 7 just said, each has been given spiritual gifts by the grace of Christ. And then he goes into this, talking about descending and ascending. Right? It seems kind of confusing and it seems out of place. Like, Paul, why did you just go here? With this? What does this have to do with anything with spiritual gifts? All right. However, it does, and it is an important part of his argument. So, essentially what he's saying is this. When he says, he who descended, 
into lower regions of the earth. Talking about Jesus here, he's talking about the incarnation of Christ. So think Christmas here. Right? At Christmas, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, took on human flesh, became God incarnate, living on the earth. He descended from his eternal heavenly throne to the lower regions of the earth. All right, this is what it's talking about when it says he descended. So Jesus descended to the earth. Then it says, he who descended is also the one who ascended far above all things that he might fill all things. So talking about Jesus, who for a little while descended to the earth, becoming man, after his finished work on the cross, his death, burial, resurrection, ascends back on high to his position. All right. Now, when talking about the ascension of Christ, I'll look back with me uh, in chapter 1 of Ephesians, right? just on the previous page or just immediately before. All right, Ephesians 1, 20-23, Paul talks about the ascension of Christ right here. All right, and notice what he says in verses 20-23. through 23. It says that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Again, talking about Christ's ascension after his resurrection. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. In those verses, what Paul is saying is that Jesus, when he ascended, he ascended to the right hand of the Father, to a position of power and authority. It says God put all things under his feet. He gave him as head over all things. So now that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, has authority over all things, has power over all things. Back in Ephesians 4, 8 through 10, when he's talking about Jesus ascending, he wants us to picture Jesus ascending in chapter 1. Right? He wants... He, he just said that, chapter 1. He's saying it again in verse 4. And he wants us to picture Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father with power over all things now. And now what, what again, does it have to do with spiritual gifts? And as one commentator put it, he said, The one who has ascended to the right hand of the Father far above every ruler and authority and power and dominion, the one who fills all things with glory and power, has the sovereign prerogative to dispense gifts to his people. In other words, Jesus ascended to this position of power and authority, and because he has that power and authority now, he now has the right, the ability, and the power to distribute spiritual gifts to all his people. Not only does he have the right to think about this, these gifts that he gives us are not just some cheap little trinkets. They're not, they're not carnival prizes that you win, not things you win from Chuck E. Cheese. They're not white elephant gifts. Jesus isn't in heaven looking around for some junk to just give away to his people. Like, all right, I guess I'll give him some gift here. Right, no. It says he, he's above every rule and power and authority. He fills all things. These gifts come from him. 
And so our spiritual gifts, again, every believer in here has a spiritual gift, at least one, if not multiple, has those gifts come with the power and the authority of Christ himself. He's seated above all things. All things under his feet, he fills all things. And so when he gives gifts, those gifts come with his power and his authority. And so, Christian, in here today, you're gifted, first of all, and your gift isn't some little trinket, not some little cheap toy. Right? It's powerful. It has the authority of Christ to overcome darkness, right? to conquer sin in the lives of yourself and the lives of other believers and the lives of, lives of the church. Right? Your spiritual gifting has the authority and the power of the risen Christ himself. That's what Paul is saying in verses 8 through 10. And that's why that was, those three verses are very relevant to what he's saying in this passage. Now, moving on, verses 11 and 12. And he gave, again, as the sovereign ruler of the universe now, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. Now, much, much could be said about these verses, but for now... Just, I'll give you this. He's talking about church leaders in these two verses. All right, when he says apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. So for now, just be content to hear that these, those apostles, prophets, shepherds, evangelists, preachers, all those things are church leaders. All right? So do church leaders have a responsibility to do ministry? Yes, absolutely. Right? Christ has given them to the church to do ministry, right? to lead the church and ministry in the word of God, to shepherd the flock, all of those things, yes. But look at what else he's given those church leaders to do. Verse 12, he gave them to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. He gave these church leaders, to the church, not only to do ministry themselves, but also to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now let me ask you this, who are the saints? I know at least some of us know. Right? The, the saints are us. Those are all believers. Right? The Bible always pictures saints as being the people of God, all believers in Christ. All right? Saint in the New Testament literally means a holy one. And we know that all believers in Christ have become and have been made holy ones. Not by anything that we've done to make ourselves holy, but strictly because of Christ's holiness and his perfection being credited to us because of our faith in him. Therefore, all believers in here today, we're saints. All right, I've had the pleasure of sharing this at our Sunday morning Bible study earlier this year. And so the Jagir family is always there if you know them. And so now Tom Jagir will frequently address me as St. Landon, to which I'll respond. He'll say, how are you, St. Landon? And I'll say, I'm very well. Thank you, St. Tom. So in, in the realest sense, we are all saints, all believers in Christ. And so when he says, Jesus gave the church leaders to equip the saints for the work of ministry, he's talking about all believers. And so we as church leaders have not only a responsibility to do the work of ministry ourselves, but also to equip all of you people to do it also. 
All right, that, that changes our mindset on what it is to be a pastor and a leader in the church, and it should change your mindset as well. For, I mean, that changes, you see, that changes the whole dynamic of the church when it goes from, all right, we're just passengers on the bus. We just show up and watch the driver do all his things. So now we watch the driver. He's not only driving, he's teaching you guys to drive as well. So everyone's participating now. We're all helping this find the direction. We're all helping drive. We're all doing all of this, these things. Right? That's the picture the New Testament always gives. The church leaders equip the saints for the work of ministry. And so we want to equip you guys to do ministry yourselves within this church and outside of this church. You have the gifts. Jesus has given you the equipment, so to speak. Now part of our job is to teach you how to use that and to help you to use that. Now, and so what happens when that happens? What happens when all of Christ's people, his blood-bought people who have been gifted by the Holy Spirit, who possess his gifts with power and authority, what happens when they are equipped to do the work of ministry? When the church leaders are equipping them and everybody's working together, what happens, he says in these final four verses. So he says, we equip the saints for building up the body of Christ. Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the whole body grow, so that it builds itself up in love. All right, those four verses, that's the result when that happens. Right? When Christ's people come together, equipped to do the work of ministry, and everybody's doing their work of ministry, the result is those four verses. And you can pick out a number of things that happens in those four verses. All right, so when the body of Christ is being equipped for the work of ministry, when that's happening and when they're doing it, what happens? Verse 13, unity in the faith. All right, we're unified under the name of Jesus in his body, in his blood. Unity happens. The knowledge of the Son of God. Not just like intellectual knowledge, like I know who Jesus is, I know he's the Son of God, but I mean deep heart knowledge. We all know deeply and intimately who Jesus is. That's what happens. Unity, knowledge. He says next, mature manhood, the measure of the full stature of Christ. So he pictures, you know, picture us as a, a young church or as a young Christian. We start as a small child. We grow up, we mature into manhood. You think about a, a small child, how subject are they to change into being I don't know, knocked around or, or jostled, right? They're somewhat helpless. Mature manhood, think of a mature man, right? He says this is, the church is to grow up into mature manhood, into the full stature of Christ. That will happen when the body is working together. Verse 15, it says, we're speaking the truth in love. Right? We grow up in every way into Christ. 
I mean, we could pick even more. We could spend all day just breaking these four verses down and looking at the result of this and what all happens. But man, just look at everything that happens when the body of Christ is working together. Right? Because the body of Christ is just that. It's not just a, a clever name for the church. It's a picture of what the church should be. It's a picture of what Jesus meant for his church to be a body. And this is what he says in verse 16. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. Right, so again, he, he pictures the church as a whole body. Right? A whole body. Think of a body, your body, of all these various body parts. Your body functions best when all those parts are working together. They're all fulfilling their role, doing their given task. So he says, all of those things that we just talked about, that happens when the whole body, with every part working together, does its part. The whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the whole body grow. The whole body, when it is working properly, makes the whole body grow. The whole body makes the whole body grow. Is it, is it our job as pastors, as church leadership, to grow the body in width and depth in every way? Yes, absolutely. But it's beyond that. The whole body causes the whole body to grow. When every part, every joint with which it is equipped is working properly. That's when that growth will happen. Only... There may be some growth when that's not happening, but only when every part is working properly in its given role, in its doing its given task, will the church grow to its full magnitude. Only then will it attain the unity of the faith. Only then will it grow into the mature manhood of Christ. Only then will we achieve the full knowledge of the Son of God. It takes everybody. This is true of the church as a whole and the whole world, the worldwide body of Christ. It's true of local churches. It's true of us here at True North Church. Right? We can grow, and we might be able to grow a lot, but we will not grow up into the fullness of Christ until every part, every joint with which this church is equipped is working properly in its place. And so let's summarize now. There's a lot of, lot of work done in that passage. Let's just summarize. Right? Remember, he started saying, Christ has given gifts to each one of us by his grace. All of you are gifted. Christ has given gifts to us by his grace. Those gifts have the authority and the power of the risen, resurrected Christ. God has given church leaders to equip the people of God to use those gifts for the building of the body of Christ. And when that happens, the unity of the faith happens, the knowledge of the Son of God happens. Growth into the mature manhood of Christ happens. Right? When it's working properly. Right? When we equip the saints to do the work of ministry. 
And so if you're in here, I have two things for you. You're a believer in Jesus, a member of this church. One, what is your gifting? You have a gift. The Bible says so. You do. You may not know it, and that's okay. But what's your gifting? Two, considering your gifting, what's your role in this church? What's your role in this church? We'll grow, but not until every part working together, every joint fitting together, doing its role, will this church become all that it can be. Now, I tell you those things, I ask you, okay, what's your gifting and what's your role? And then many of you probably don't know, and that's okay. All right, so we want to discover those things. So let me give you some examples of how I see this in our church or how I've seen this work out. All right, first of all, don't expect some mystical experience to discover your spiritual gift. I wouldn't expect... Uh, just some crazy dream where God just tells you directly, you have the gift of whatever, preaching, teaching, singing music, serving in, with kids, whatever it might be. Right? He's not going to come down to you in tongues of fire. He might. He's, he's, he's allowed to do that. He might. He could. I don't think that's the regular way that it works now. Right. That's not how I discover that I could do what I'm doing right now. Do you know how I discover that I could, I could teach and, and do things like this? I just started doing it. I was a senior in high school. Never done this in my life. Not, not even close. A coach challenges me to help lead a team Bible study. So I'm like, all right, I'll do it, I guess, because I'm a senior. I'm, I'm supposed to be a leader. And I do it. As I'm doing it, first of all, I was scared to death. It was really difficult. As I'm doing it, as soon as I finish, though, I just had this, this sense and this feeling wash over me like I loved what I just did. And that's, I just want to do that all the time. And so I started, I started using that. I started doing that more. So my friends and I, we start a Bible study where we just simply just prepare a, a short lesson and we teach on it. Every week, I would sit there, and I was like, I just love this. I love preparing. I love doing it. I love teaching it. I love everything about this. It wasn't some mystical experience. I just started doing it, and gradually, I found, like, I think maybe God's given me the the gifting and the ability to do this. And so, I mean, what is it with you? What has God given you the gift and the ability to do? I know how I see this working in our church. I mean, Pastor Dave and the rest of the music team, uh, from Janelle, Dave, who's not here, Greg, Ethan, I mean, everybody, whoever's on the musical team, they're so gifted for that. Their authenticity and the depth with which they lead us to worship God. I can't do that. I don't know if you know this, but I'm not musical at all. I can't even clap and sing at the same time. I can't keep a beat. I can't do what they do every Sunday. And so if I tried to, do you know what kind of depth of worship we would have? You'd be so distracted by my terrible singing. It'd be worthless. But they're so clearly gifted to do that, and that's such an important part of our church. Pastor Rex is clearly a gifted speaker and communicator. 
Some of you sit there and you watch them do that and you think, there's no way I could ever do that. Well, that's good because maybe you don't have to. And that's not the gift you've been given and that's okay. I don't know about you, but every time Rhonda comes up here and leads us in prayer and a call to worship, I'm just blown away. Now, I can, I can pray in front of the church, but not like I can't do that. I don't know how she does that. And I'm so blessed by that whenever she does that. And again, you might sit there and think, I can't, I can't do that. I can't pray like that in front of people. I can't even speak in front of people. And that's okay, because maybe that's not your gifting. But it's hers. She's been given that gift. Dan Savage sits in the back every week and runs sound and audio and visual for us. Not a, not a glorious job. Doesn't get any attention for it. He does a great job, though, and he's great at it. He's great with details. He loves it. All of you who serve in our children's ministries on Sunday mornings, on Wednesday nights, with different ages of kids... You've been gifted to do that. You're doing that. Those of you who serve with our junior and senior high ministries, I watch you every Wednesday. I watch you teach them. I watch you talk to them, interact with them. You're so clearly gifted to do that. Those, I mean, you trustees, the guys who set up chairs every week. I mean, people, some people are better, good at giving. They're gifted for that. I mean, whatever it is, we've all been gifted. And I see it working in our church in a lot of ways right now. And I want to see that grow more. I want to see all of you. You've been given the gifts. I want to see all of you equipped to use that in the building up of the body of Christ to do the work of ministry in this church. Because again, we'll grow in depth and in width when it's just whoever leading. But when the whole body fits together with every joint with which is equipped, is working together, the whole body will grow. All right, so what is your gifting? What's your gifting and what's your role in this church? And if you're not a member here, then what's your role at your other church that you're a member at? You have a gifting, you have a role to play. It might not be spectacular, it might not be glorious, but I can tell you it's important. And the church will not grow unless all those parts are working together. And I'll close with this illustration. When I was a sophomore in high school, I sustained an injury that caused me to miss the final two games of my football season and then the entire basketball season. Now, some of you probably know this just because graduated from Wausau and I'm from here. You might have watched me play. Uh, but the injury was a torn ACL. Uh, and so if you know anything about ACLs, the ACL is a ligament in the knee. And it's a, very, I mean, it's a small ligament, just a tiny little ligament. But now correct me if I'm wrong, Marin, my sister, she's an athletic training major. She knows stuff like this. So, but correct me if I'm wrong, it connects the femur bone to the tibia, the two main bones in the leg. Am I right? There we go. <laughs> so, I tore my ACL, just that small little ligament that's connecting my femur to my tibia, the two primary bones in the leg. So, even with that injury, though, if you would have looked at me during that time, I would have looked perfectly fine. You, you probably would have shown up to a game, seen me on the sideline, and been like, what's wrong with that dude? Like, tell him to get in and play, toughen up, what's his deal? 
I could walk just fine. You wouldn't have, known, wouldn't have known anything was wrong with me. I watched me walk. I could even do some light jogging. Everything in my, else in my body was working perfectly fine. Eyes were good. Head was good. Ears, nose, hands, fingers. I mean, the rest of my legs, my feet, body. Every part of me was fine. I was healthy. But this one ligament was torn. And so when it came to playing sports, I was basically crippled. I couldn't sprint. I couldn't do any cutting. I couldn't sustain any contact. Right? So I could do a lot of things, but I couldn't do right, those things I wanted to do. My body works just fine in a lot of ways, and it could do a lot of things, but it couldn't perform at the optimum level. It couldn't be everything that it could be. All because that one ligament in my knee was not working properly. And so, church, we've shown, Jesus told us we're a body. Every part doing its role. We can do a lot of things. Our body's healthy in a lot of ways. We are. We are healthy in a lot of ways. We can do a lot of things. We look healthy. We look good. But until... Every part is operating and fulfilling its role. This body of Christ here at True North will not be able to perform at peak performance. We will not be able to become and do all the things that God has called us to be and called us to do. Just like my ACL, my body's fine except one ligament not fulfilling its role. And so it is with the body of Christ. Only when every part, every member, every group, every ministry fulfilling its role will the body of Christ be able to perform at optimum performance. So I'll ask the worship team to come forward now and exercise your gifts for us. And so, church, I raise to you again those two questions. What is your gift And what is your role? Christ has given us his mission. He left, he said, Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have commanded you. He has called us to go proclaim his glory to the ends of the earth, to proclaim the good news of the gospel, to make disciples everywhere we go. And then he left it in our hands. He could have stayed on earth and accomplished that himself but he left it in the hands of his church. He's given us the equipment to do it. He's gifted us with his Holy Spirit. We're all gifted. And so it's in our hands now. And we cannot and we will not accomplish that mission as effectively or as quickly or as efficiently or as powerfully as we can until every part is working together. The whole body causes the whole body to grow. And so what is your gifting and what is your role? And I'll end with just this statement here. When you find it and when you do it, it will not be a burdensome thing. It will be a joy, I can assure you of that. Doing this, teaching on a Wednesday night these junior high and high school kids is not a burden for me. I love it. I look forward to it. 
This is not a burden for Dave or for these people. They're good at it. They love it. They enjoy it. And so when you find your gift and when you apply it and use it in your role, right, I will, you will find unimaginable joy. And you, you yourself individually and personally will grow in a way that you maybe haven't grown in a while. And so what is your gifting and what is your role? And I invite you to stand and we'll pray before we worship in song. And Father, we thank you for bringing us here today. We thank you for sending your son to make us saints. We thank you, Jesus, for making us holy, knowing that we have no holiness in and of ourselves, but you have been holy on our behalf. And so thank you for making us saints here this morning. And Jesus, we thank you for equipping each one of us with gifts to be used. And so God, I pray for us in this place right here and right now that you would just begin to reveal to us what our gifts are. God, I know that so many of us just have no idea what they are. We want to know. We want to know what they are. We want to serve, but we just don't know what to do. So, Lord, may you begin to reveal to us what those gifts are and how we can use them in your church. And, Jesus, you've left us with a mission to proclaim the good news of the gospel to the ends of the earth. And you've equipped us with gifts from your Holy Spirit to do that. And so, Lord, help us to do just that. God, help us to find our gifts, equip us to use them so you made it, we might accomplish the mission that you've given us. Father, I pray for us as leaders of this church that you would help us to equip this church to do the work of ministry. And Father, we know that you have plans for True North. We know that you want to use us to reach our community. You know, we know that you want to use us to make disciples here and everywhere in the world. So God, help us to step into the roles you've given us so that we might do that. Father, we thank you. And as we worship now, help us to worship as a people who have been made new by your blood. Lord, give us great joy in knowing you and loving you and serving you. I ask all these things in Jesus' name.